was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And that Word spoke words that turned chaos into order, gave the seas and skies their border. This Word that spoke was himself unspoken. He had no beginning and he has no end. He gave life to all things, and with each breath we draw him in. Each shoot that emerges from the cold, hard ground, within every bud there's life to be found. The green that springs up is the promise of life, spoken by the Word who was there at the first. Then one day, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word who made man became man. He taught in our streets and preached in our public squares. He met the world's need, not with hate, but with care and compassion. Ready to demonstrate to the world his passion and righteous zeal, he came not to harm us, but rather to heal. He was in the world, the world he had made, but it looked right through him. The people saw but didn't recognize their maker. He went to the cross and died the death of the unjust. It shattered the faith of his disciples and tested their trust. But on the third day, on the third day, at the break of dawn, the light of life pierced the darkness. Death's power was gone. The grave could not hold him. The stone rolled away. The creator burst forth into the light of new day. He showed us what his name means and that he is mighty to save. When the Word who laid the foundations of creation said it is finished, it wasn't the end, but rather just the beginning. The risen Word who came before time itself said that everything is new. He met every tribe, people, and nation, and that means He met you. Amen, and welcome to New Hope Baptist Church today. We hope that you've had a good morning so far. Man, it has been a beautiful morning, amen? The Lord uh, has blessed us with yet another beautiful day to give Him glory in, to come and worship Him today, and so we do that. I pray that your hearts will be open and receptive to God's Word today. <clears throat> if you're a visitor with us online or in, or in person, we want to welcome you. We want to tell you we're really glad that you're here. we got some old friends that are back with us, uh, Mark and Christina, our former youth pastor, and we're glad that y'all are here this morning, glad to have you with us today. Um, but if you're here with us, in, uh, either in person or online, I'd like for you to text the word WELCOME to 704-459-5575. Uh, just fill in a little information. We'd like to get to know you, know that you're with us today, and uh, let us know of any way we can minister to you. If you will, check your bulletin um, for any announcements. We've got uh, some uh, Good Friday service coming on, on uh, April the 2nd, 8, 8 o'clock that evening, and then uh, Easter morning. We'll have uh, coffee and donuts at 9.15, and then our worship service will be at 10 o'clock as normal, but it will be outside, and so you may need to bring a jacket or a uh, blanket or whatever. Uh, bring your lawn chair. Uh, we're going to set up in the parking lot. I have the trailer out here, I hope, Nolan, and uh, uh, just worship our Lord outside. Hopefully it'll be a nice day and uh, God will bless us with that. But either way, good day, dark day, rainy day, cloudy day, sunny day, we're going to praise the Lord and worship the Lord. Amen? Because He is worthy of our praise and worthy of our worship. He is alive. He's risen. And that is why we're here today, to worship Him. So let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you once again, Lord, for the blessings of the day, for the beauty of the day, for this is the day. This is the day. Every day is the day that you've made. 
And Father, we thank you for that. We rejoice in that. And Father, we're glad that you have allowed us to enjoy it. Wherever we are, whether we're in this place, whether we're at home or on the road or wherever we might be, God, let us worship you for you are alive. You're reigning and reigning in our hearts today, God. And so we worship you. Open our hearts up, God. Let us hear from you as we focus our attention on the cross, on the Easter story, and on the resurrection and the hope that we have in your resurrected life. Because you are resurrected, we have the hope of a resurrection too. And that is why we worship you. God, we love you, we praise you, we welcome you into this place. And Father, we pray that today that you will be pleased with our worship as we honor you and exalt you and praise you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pray that you were blessed by that this morning. Oh, the wonderful cross. As we grow, or we get closer to, to Easter, we want to keep our eyes on that wonderful cross. Don't be distracted by the things of the world, the, the busyness of life, and uh, the, 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 the exercise or the activities that can go on outside now that the spring is upon us. But even in the midst of everything you're doing, let's keep our, our eyes focused on the cross and the hope that we have that's found in, in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Last week, we, we looked at an Old Testament hope and a New Testament Savior found in, in Psalm 31, and the psalmist <coughs> found hope in the promised Savior, and, and he acknowledged that, that God was a sovereign God over everything. He had control over every aspect of life, and he acknowledged that his time on earth was at the Lord's discretion. He said in, in Psalm 31, verse 14 and 15, he says, I trust in you, O Lord. You are my God. My times are in your hand. Our time on this earth is in the hands of God. This morning we've come to a singular event that, that splits all of history in two, the cross of Christ. And, and Psalm 22 is a foreshadowing of that event. And here David lifts his eyes uh, and, and looks down the long corridor of time and he sees the striking de detail of the crucifixion of a Messiah that's yet to come, of something that's not yet taken place. The psalm is a prophecy because nowhere in David's life do we, do we find these events. Nothing in his life compares to what he describes uh, here in Psalm 22. It's a messianic prophecy, meaning it's a prophecy about the Messiah, the coming Messiah. This was not an account of a, a bystander there on Good Friday on the, on the hill of Golgotha, but it was written thousands of years before Jesus was even born. And then it was also written in first person. So how do we explain that? Well, the Spirit of God evidently took over the hand of David in some strange and miraculous way so that David could write the very words of the Messiah himself. And today as we read this and we study this, we stand there on the hill of Golgotha, there in a the distance, a man 
hangs on the cross. And from his birth, this man lived his entire life in the shadow of the cross, the cross of Christ. This morning, I want us to to hear the, the inner dialogue that Christ has as he hangs there on the tree. We'll hear words that Jesus spoke from the cross that he either stated or suggested. We see in the 31 verses of the chapter, verses 1 through 21, where Jesus describes, or David describes, the crucifixion. And in verses 21 through 31, there's a description of the results of the resurrection. What happens after the resurrection? What, what is the feeling? What is the emotion that takes over after the resurrection? But before we get there, let's open our Bibles up to Psalm 22 and read the psalm together. And somebody said this morning, were you just going to read the Bible this morning and instead of preaching them? Praise God, the Bible could do a whole lot better job than me, can't it? That's a good place for an amen because God's Word is the truth all the time. And so we're going to read through the, 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 the chapter and then we're going to go back and, and just take a few verses at a time and break them down and, and, and look at them. But I really want us this morning, again, as we approach Easter in just a couple of weeks to really focus on the cross, to really focus on what happened on the cross and to meditate on that uh, beginning today and going forward. And begin to, even though we can't, but even begin to try to understand what we have in the salvation of Christ. The price that was paid for my life and yours so that we could spend eternity with God. If you will, turn with me to Psalm 22. <clears throat> it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? So far are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I am, and I am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praised of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted in, and you delivered them. They cried out to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet he brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even from my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near and there is no hope of no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tear their prey, tear their prey open, their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted away within me. My strength is dried up like the potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. 
you lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I cannot count. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor Him. Revere Him, all you descendants of Israel. For He is not despised or disdained or suffered or afflicted one. He has not hidden His face from Him, but has listened to His cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise and in great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They will seek the Lord. They who seek the Lord will praise Him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and the families of the nations will bow before Him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and He rules over the nations. All of the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before Him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve Him. and Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim His righteousness to people yet unborn. For He has done it. Praise God for God's Word this morning. And we see in verse... Verses 1 through 21, we see where David is describing the crucifixion. What's going through Jesus' mind there? And this is a psalm that, that Jesus cries out from the cross. We hear him quoting Psalm 22, verse 1 in Matthew 27. In Matthew 27, verse 45 and 46, it says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, here, verse 1 in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Jesus felt forsaken from God while, while on the cross, but, but why is that? <clears throat> he was taking the place of every sinner that ever has or ever will repent of their sins. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul writes that he was the sin for those whom the Father had given him before the foundation of the world. So this was put into place way before we were born, before our ancestors were born. This was put into place. This was God's idea, the Son's idea, their agreement for this to take place before the creation of the world. But he was bearing this 
the sin penalty for each and every one of us, the totality of everyone's sin. Every repenter's sin was cast upon him. But this was a cry of faith. He says, my God, my God. It's personal to him. He has an an intimate relationship with the Father and, and he was confident that God would not abandon him in the end, but he would ultimately deliver him in the end. My God, my God. Let me ask you this morning, do we have that personal relationship with God? Do we consider God a friend? Do we call out Almighty God, the God? Or do we call out my God? Abba Father, my Father, my Daddy. How well interconnected are we with God? Are we following His teachings? Are we living with Him every day? Are we allowing Him to... Him into every aspect and every every part of our life. You see, as we read this, as we read the, the Easter story, we can never, in our best attempts, we can never understand or or comprehend the, the sheer magnitude or the depth of what took place there on Calvary. In our little peanut minds, we just can't wrap our minds around it. We can't understand it because it is so big and so enormous and so much bigger than we are. But there was a mighty work done on the cross where all of eternity's sins were what was cast upon and compressed upon Jesus in, in that day, in that moment, in that hour. And here we see David, he cries out to the to the one true God, and he's reminded of of God's past deliverances. He says in verse 3, he says, Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. And you know what, in, in our own times of difficulty, in our own times of, of trials in life, we can, we can recall those times when, when God walked with us through those difficulties. When we can remember those, those past heartaches that we had and recall how God was faithful to us and how He worked in our lives to help carry us through. And when we remember that, we can be strengthened to carry on through the ordeals we're facing today or that we'll face in the future. And so His past faithfulness will give us hope in the future. And that's what He's talking about here. He's calling about how God has worked in the past for for Israel and how they claimed His faithfulness. And now He's drawing upon that to strengthen Him in His present ordeal. But He says the world had, had turned on Him. Everywhere He looked, I mean, can you imagine hanging from the cross and everybody, practically everybody around was was mocking him and insulting him and making fun of him. And he says in verse 6, he says, but I am a worm. 
not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. He says, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Verse 8, he says, he trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Oh, he called on the Lord before. Let him call on the Lord now and, and get him off that cross. If he comes off that cross, then we'll believe. He describes his being as a worm, reduced and, and diminished, devoid of, of any sense of worth or or significance. He was weak and, and helpless on show there for everybody. He's despised, mocked, insulted, and taunted. And yet, get this. Get this. He never sinks into self-pity. He never goes back and thinks, oh, poor pitiful me. It's not in him. He never blames himself for the fate of where he is. He never blames himself for being on the cross and he never seeks revenge for his tormentors. But yet they beat him in unmercifully. He had to drag his cross. They nailed him to the cross and yet not once did he lash out at his tormentors. This is the God we serve. This is the God that we praise. This is the God that we worship. Amen. Listen to how Matthew records the, the, the bystanders as they spoke freely. Their, their lips had been loosened and, and they had no restraint. I mean, there was no way that, that this man could attack them now. So they were, they were all out, just letting the words flow, insulting him any way that they could. Matthew 27, verse 41 through 43 it says, In the same way the chief priest, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants, if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Their insulting words were we're cutting to the core. He says in verse 9, Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. All of my days I have been yours, God. The psalmist is reminding God of his lifelong trust in him, that he's never wavered. He, acknowledge him, he acknowledges God as, as his creator, how he was trained up as a child to trust in God. For his entire life, Yahweh was his God. He still, he was and he still is. And now he's, he's calling on God once again. He's trusting in the, in the mighty name of God once again. He says in verse 11, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one to help. He's alone. He's 
being insulted and mocked and made fun of so that we could have life. This is what He is experiencing for us. His body was drained and and weak from the attacks. His, His energy was sapped and poured out like water, it says. He had lost his desire to resist and was on the brink of death. And he vividly describes his enemies and his his suffering and and his agony. In verse 12 he says, Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open tear their uh, roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart was turned to wax. It, was, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, and pack of, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. This is the God we serve. This is the God that, that went through this for us. This is the God, the God who experienced this so that we could have life. This is the God we want to focus our attention on. This is the God that we celebrate Easter for. You see, the bulls of Bashan, they were, they were strong and well-fed and, and fierce animals. And they were used to describe the crowd around him. They were just, he used this to describe the enemies that were attacking him. He, decide, he, he describes his extreme weakness and exhaustion as a result of the beating and the, and the crucifixion itself. The dislocation of his arms from his shoulders, it says, is felt throughout his body. His mouth is parched with extreme thirst. His tongue, it says, sticks to the roof of his mouth. Remember in John chapter 19, verse 28, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, He he says, I thirst. These dogs that He's talking about, they were the the evil men. They were His captors and and His executioners. In ancient days, dogs weren't the nice little house dogs that we think about now. They were scavengers of the town. They would... They would wait at the cross there for people to die and then to tear them apart and eat them. This was, this was how he was describing his, his captors and his enemies. They were waiting to tear him apart. They were waiting for him to die. This is the God we serve. This is the God we worship. This is the God that went through that for us. The phrase, the roaring lions, in, in early translations, this was used symbolically described, uh, to describe being pierced, thinking about their, their, their teeth piercing the skin. And John 19.34 tells the story, said instead, of, instead one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Verse 17, the psalmist continues to describe his agony. All of my bones are on display. People stare 
and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garments. He was weak and emancipated. His, his enemies were staring at him and gawking at him. And they were considering him as good as dead and when they did, they began casting lots for his clothes. They knew he wasn't coming off the cross. It says in Matthew 27, verse 35, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Even in the midst of everything happening, though, in the midst of all the turmoil, all the agony, he is still trusting that God will deliver him. Even as he's hanging on the cross, he's trusting that, in, that God will deliver him, that God will not leave him to die. It says in verse 19, he says, But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. He was trusting in the Lord that the Lord would come to him and save him and redeem him and deliver him in the end. As we read this story in the, in the Psalms and we read this from an Old Testament perspective, none of it makes sense. It only makes sense when they're fulfilled in the crucifixion story of Jesus. There's no way to understand what he's talking about, how these are going to be played out until it happens before them. And as we can look back and see, while Matthew records exactly what happened, that David wrote in the Psalms. And only then does it begin to make sense. But up and through 21, he, verse 21, the psalmist is describing the crucifixion. And then just like that in verse 22, it changes and, it, and it's, the whole conversation changes. He turns his, his attention to the resurrection and the proclamation after that. The darkness of death gives way to the bright sunshine of hope found in the resurrection. And he rejoices that that his death on the cross was not in vain. Look at verse 22. It was verse 22 through 31. The resurrection brought a, a jubilant praise to his lips. And then he goes on and encourages everybody else in the, in the community of faith to praise God, for he is alive. He says in verse 22, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor Him, revere Him. All the descendants of Israel. For He has not despised or scorned the suffering of, of the afflicted one. He has not hidden His face from me. Did you hear that? All this time He thought God had left Him, but in reality God was right there with Him. And, and, and in fact He says, He has not hidden His face from me. He has redeemed me. He has delivered me. He has brought me back to life. He has not hidden me, he has not hidden his face from me, but, it says, has listened to his cry for help. God heard him and delivered him. 
And what does he do as a result of that? He announces that he's going to proclaim God and to God's name to all of Israel, to all the Israelites. And he encourages the community of believers to praise God. That we should stand in, in awe of him because he didn't forsake him. That God heard his cry, responded, and delivered him. And in these last verses, these last verses are, are for us today too. It says, from you comes, in verse 25, it says, from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise Him. My, may hearts live forever. You see, everyone will be invited to the great banquet. The, the great banquet table will be open for all the rich and the poor. And for those who seek the Lord and those who praise the Lord, the banquet table is an invitation. And he says in verse 27, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before Him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and He rules over the nations. His good news through us his good news through us will travel to the ends of the earth where every family and every nation will hear it, but it's, a, it's, up, to, up, it's up to us. It's, it's an incumbent upon us to make His name known, to share that good news, to, to, to make His name known to our families and to all the world. The wealthy and the poor, the healthy and the dying will all hear of Him. Amen. Praise God. With all the communication that we have now, the technology that we have, man, God's Word is being placed in, in places that people would have never thought of. People are hearing the gospel in, way, in, in, in times that would have never been possible before because of the technology that we have today. There are people right now that are watching this church in Earl, North Carolina, they're watching it from all over the world. And you're a part of this church. If you're watching today, you're a part of this church and that challenge is to you too to make the good news known to everyone in your town, in your family, in your community and to the world around you. It says in verse 29, all the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before Him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve Him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. Verse 30, future generations. That's us, okay? Will be told about the Lord. How, how did we hear about the Lord? Somebody told us. How is the next generation going to hear about the Lord? We tell them. We pass our faith on down to our family. Verse 30, it says, Posterity will serve Him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim and we shall proclaim His righteousness, declaring to people yet unborn, He has done it. Folks, today I want you to think about the writing of the psalmist David. 
But you think about what you've heard. What you've heard from inside an inner conversation with Christ. There was not one confession of sin because He's sinless. There was not one insult. There was not one threat or one degradation against His enemies. But yet He hung on the cross. And He never lashed out. That is the God we serve. That is the perfect God that we worship. You see, it's primarily the account of a, of a righteous man who is being put to death by, by a rabid group of, of wicked people. Jesus was, was perfect. And He was the, the perfect and sinless sacrifice for our sins. If He was willing to do all that for me, and I'm willing to follow Him. What about you? Are we following Him in a way that's pleasing to Him? You see, in this psalm, we've seen the, the psalmist move from a struggle of gloom and adversity to, to peace and joy. And folks, what happened on Calvary was no accident. No accident by any means. It was, it was planned by God the Father and the Son before time began. They knew that sin was going to enter the world and that we would need a Savior, that we would need some way to find salvation. And this was their plan for reconciliation between man and God through the blood of Jesus, through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus would be the way. Jesus is the way. He is the only way. The truth and the life. Because no one comes to the Father except through Him. And only through Him is forgiveness found. You see, Jesus didn't welcome suffering, but He embraced it for us. Jesus didn't welcome this, but He embraced it because He loves you. He allowed Himself to, to, to suffer, not for the sake of pain, but for the sake of me and you. It was His way of saying, even though you hate me, even though you hate me, I still love you. And I love you enough to die for you. I love you enough to give my life for you. God heard his cry and raised him from the dead so that we could have hope too. So that we could have the hope that's found on Easter morning with the empty tomb. You see, God's power is greater than death's power. God's power is greater than, than Satan. But everyone has to choose. Will they choose God or will they 
choose their own way. Next week will be Palm Sunday. And during the Passion Week, they offered up a choice between Barabbas and Jesus. You can have Jesus or you can have Barabbas. What about Jesus? And what did they yell out? Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. You see, for the people on that day, they chose Barabbas over Christ. They chose evil instead of good. They chose their way instead of God's way. Right now, today, we have to decide what we'll do with Christ. Do we choose His way or our way? Do we receive the forgiveness of His sin? Or do we try to go it alone and make it happen our way? Let me promise you one thing, your way won't work. God's way will. Won't you give your life to Christ today? Acknowledging that He is God, that He is your Lord of all. Confessing your sin, repenting of your sin, and accepting Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Maybe we've already accepted Christ. Maybe you're here watching online and you've already accepted Christ. And the next question that, that comes up is, will we do like the psalmist did? Will we proclaim His good news to the world? What feeble excuse do we have not to share the good news of the world while at the same time saying we serve a God that did all of this for us? What will we do with Christ what will we do with Christ this Easter season what will we do with Christ this afternoon what will we do with Christ tomorrow morning at work or tomorrow morning at school what will we do with Christ tomorrow afternoon at Walmart or, or Ingalls or wherever it might be what will you do with Christ at, at practice or on the golf course or on the lake What will we do with Christ? Will we indeed make Him known? Or will we make yet another excuse as to why we can't? Jesus paid it all. He paid it all for each one of us so that we could have eternal life. Let's pray. Oh God, you are a good, good Father. We thank you for the love that you have for us. The extent at which you went to make sure we had an option to live with you in eternity. We are so glad today that 
Jesus was indeed faithful to the end, that He was obedient even unto death, death on the cross for our sin. Father, today, may we be convicted and committed to sharing Your good news with those around us. That we would indeed choose Your way and not our way. That we would choose goodness over evil and life over death and God over us. Hear our prayer, Lord. As we turn our eyes to the cross and are reminded that You, that You paid it all for us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.